Hey there, this is Michael Burris. I'm the lead pastor of Summit View Church in Irving, Kentucky, and this is our podcast. I hope this podcast encourages you, I hope it inspires you, and I hope it helps you to start seeing your life from God's perspective. Thanks for joining us today. Now enjoy the message. All right, all right. We are in week number three of our series, Chasing Carrots, the Endless Pursuit of More. And in this series, we're looking at how to avoid all of the traps in life, whether it's pursuing these elusive things like fame, like people's approval, like comfort. Last week, we talked about how to um, avoid the trap of chasing money and stuff. I think it was a great week. Um, this month, we're dealing with all with this lie that if I can just have more of that, whatever that is for you, whether whatever that is, uh, if I can just have more of that, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be fulfilled. Then I'll be successful. We want to avoid that that trap, avoid those lies. And that's what we're learning about this week. Our series verse comes out of Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse six. It says this, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. It means better to have a life that has a little bit of uh, empty space in it. Better have a life that you're not trying to chase after every single thing. You're not living this life of two handfuls. Maybe you just have one handful of life and you leave some margin. It's better to have that life, the one handful life with peace and tranquility than it is to have everything that you've ever desired, everything that you wanted two handfuls of life but you have toil and chasing after the wind because with a two handful life stress comes with it so much uh, baggage comes with it some junk comes with it it's better the bible says to have one handful of life with peace and tranquility and that's what we're chasing after in this series so today we're going to be talking about one of the most elusive things of all the pursuit of of perfection, the pursuit of perfection. Now, I don't know who this message is for this morning. I know personally, I know it is for me because I live with this incredibly unhealthy need to live up to expectations, to live up to your expectations, to live up to my own unrealistic expectations, to live up to God's expectations. Um, and when I, when I, I can tell you a story about this. When I went back to um, Bible school, I saw this in my life more than ever. Uh, when I enrolled, I had this crazy goal that um, when I graduated, I was going to have all A's. I, wanna, I was going to have a perfect 4.0 when I graduated. Uh, but to make this even more complicated, in order to get a perfect grade, see, when I was in high school, like anything above a 90 was a 4.0. It was a perfect grade. But um, in Bible college, to make it more complicated, it, you didn't just have to get above a 90. In order to have the perfect grade, I had to get over a 96 in the class. And this added so much unneeded pressure in my life and this unneeded pressure that I experienced every day to get this perfect grade was unreal. It was unreal. I probably added <laughs> 10 years to my life in every single paper that I wrote. And if you've ever been to college, you know that is a whole lot of papers. So I'm not expecting to live much longer because I wrote a whole lot of papers. No, I'm just kidding. But there was so much unneeded pressure in my life and I put it all on myself. It wasn't coming from any other source, just me. And so the first time that I ever earned a B on a paper, 
I was torn up. I was just ripped apart inside. I had put all of this pressure on myself that I needed A's, I needed A's, I needed more A's. And in the moment that I got my first B, it tore me up inside. But what happened was I finally realized that I didn't need to put so much pressure on myself because I also realized that the world puts enough pressure on us as it is. I know so many people out there that, that have to deal with this. Mothers, for instance. Mothers out there. I'm, I'm sure you have no idea what I'm talking about when it comes to pressure. All you have to do is have a Pinterest-worthy home. You haven't have to have Instagram-worthy looks. You have to take your kids to the zoo. You have to do crafts. You have to uh, throw elaborately themed birthday parties with ponies and with princesses. You have to have a successful career. You have to keep up a hobby. You have to post on Facebook. You have to work out five five times a week to keep your Instagram worthy looks. You have to pray for an hour a day. You have to be a homeroom mom. You have to do the laundry. You have to read books. You have to give baths. You have to tell stories. You have to sing songs. You have to feed your kids organic kale and carrots when you would rather eat Oreos and ice cream. Moms, I'm sure you have no idea what I'm talking about today. Those are just some of the few things that I'm sure you have to put up with. And each one of us has to deal with these pressures of perfection that we have to ch- that we chase after unknowingly or knowingly each um, and every day in and day out. You know how it is in life. You just when you when you pursue perfection, you just can't win. What's really funny to me is that we are so quick to let everybody else off of the hook that, uh, but we're never really able to let ourselves off of the hook. You know how I know this is that when one of your kids or your friends or your family members, they mess up, what do you say? You say, it's okay, nobody's perfect. It's okay, nobody's perfect. But when we mess up, we think all these self-deprecating thoughts, you're terrible, you can't do anything right, you might as well just give up. See, we give everybody else the grace that we oftentimes need to give ourselves. And so the pursuit of perfection, we're talking about the suit of perfection, it, the pursuit of perfection, it does one of two things for us, okay? Number one, you, f- you feel like you're really nailing it. If, if this is you and you're like pursuing perfection, you're like, I got this thing, I am nailing it. What that's gonna do is it's gonna, it's gonna cause, it's gonna produce things in your life like pride and like arrogance because you think I can handle anything that life throws, I can handle it on my own. I'm doing great at this thing. You could be nailing it or you could be failing it. And if you're failing it, all it's gonna do is produce further pain and more pressure for you to keep up with the perfection that you're pursuing neither of which is healthy. We don't want pride and arrogance, but we definitely also don't want pain or pressure in our lives. And so as we talk about perfectionists, I found that there are three types of perfectionists in life, okay? Number one is the self-oriented perfectionist. The self-oriented perfectionist is somebody that's like this. You hold unrealistically high expectations of yourself. You battle with feelings of guilt, often obsessing to the point of inefficiency. Like uh, if you're if you're not going to do it perfect, you want you don't want to even start. You're prone to procrastinate and struggle with deep feelings of inadequacy. That is the self-oriented perfectionist. The second one is the externally oriented perfectionist. You believe others expect you to be perfect. 
Uh, it's outside pressure. You cope with the pressure. You often use self-deprecating humor as a defense mechanism. You often feel alone. You feel depressed and you feel desperate because you just know that you're never going to be enough. The externally oriented perfectionist. Then number three is the others-oriented perfectionist. And you're the person that expects others to live up to your impossible standards. Because uh, you tend to lack empathy, um, you often tear others down or use abrasive or demeaning humor toward those who don't meet your standards. Guys, this is where a lot of parents will get it wrong. We'll have these unnecessarily high expectation of our children and we forget that it took us 20, 30 years to learn that lesson. And uh, we have these very high standards. And this is where often we miss it as parents, is being an others-oriented perfectionist. We want our kids to be perfect. When, guys, we lived 30, 40, 50 years, and we're still not there. So we have the uh, the self-oriented perfectionist, the, um, the externally-oriented perfectionist, and the others-oriented perfectionist. And the thing about perfection is that the pursuit of perfection is an unreachable goal. It's unreachable. Our pursuit of perfection it really boils down to, to a spiritual problem. We think that it's an emotional problem, a mental problem, whatever. It really boils down to a spiritual problem. And what happens is we're trying to use our perfection to cover up our issues, to cover up our feelings of inadequacy. In short, we're trying to use, we're, we're trying to achieve perfection in order to cover up our own sinfulness. We see in uh, Genesis, the, the very first book of the Bible, Adam and Eve messed up and they ate from the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat from. And, and the Bible says they realized that they were naked um, and they were ashamed. And then God came searching for them and they covered themselves, the Bible says, with fig leaves. And that is just, um, that's a picture of what we try to do when we, when we try to achieve perfection. We're trying to cover ourselves. We're trying to cover up the shameful parts of us. We're trying to cover up ourselves so that other people don't see it. And it fails every single time. It just can't happen that way. There's no way that we can achieve a right standing with God on our own. There's no way. In fact, the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 20, it says this, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Guys, we can't be made perfect. We can't be made right with God by performing, by doing all of the right things. It's impossible. And, and when we talk about the law here, this is the law of God. And there's no way for us to live up to it. There's, there were 613 laws in the Old Testament that the religious elite had to live by every single day. And what they found was it was impossible. And here in Romans chapter 3, it actually tells us that the law wasn't meant for us to achieve perfection. The law was meant to point out that we were imperfect. That was the purpose of the law, to show us how sinful we really were. So we try to achieve this perfection in our own lives, but it's impossible. And instead, further on in the Bible, we're told this. But now, God has shown us a way to be made right with Him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Listen, we are made right with God by placing our faith 
in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you who we are. Guys, the only thing that can that the only way that we can be made right with God is not by performing all of the right ways, not by doing all of the right things, not by keeping God's perfect law. The only way that we can be made right with God is by pursuing the right person, the person of Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the sinless Son of God. He lived a perfect life and he chose to die a death on the cross so that you and I would never have to try to earn our way into right standing with God. He paid the price for us. We don't have to live a perfect life because Jesus lived the perfect life for us. Jesus took the pressure off. Let Jesus take the pressure off of you. You don't have to be perfect. God knows you're not going to be perfect. Let Jesus take the pressure off of you. We don't, we don't achieve perfection by doing all of the right things and by keeping the perfect law of God. All, the way that we uh, are made right with God is simply by believing, by having faith in Jesus, the Son of God, that He already lived it for us. So, in order to leave behind this pursuit of perfection, I think there's three choices. I believe there's three choices that we can make today because I think you don't need to live another day and try to chase after this thing called perfection. Make these three choices today. Number one, we need to choose people over perfection. Choose people over perfection. There's the story in Luke chapter 10, and it's the story of two ladies named Mary and Martha. And they really uh, show us two different types of personalities here. That what happened is they found out that Jesus was coming over for dinner. Could you imagine that? Jesus himself coming over for dinner at your house. How would you act? What would you do? See, what happened was Martha, this, this lady Martha, she was distracted, the Bible says, by the big dinner that she was preparing but then on the other hand, we had Mary, Martha's sister. And what she did was she just sat at the feet of Jesus and spent time with him. <laughs> and so Martha shouted from the kitchen. She's real mad. She said, Jesus, make Mary come in here and help me because I'm doing it all by myself. And she starts complaining to Jesus about Mary. And Jesus answered this in Luke chapter 10, verse 41. Jesus said, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken from her. Is that ever you? Um, what when people ask you when people are coming over to your house, right? You're hosting people. Some of you may have been, maybe you don't like to host people. I don't know. I think hospitality is a great gift that God gives us. But um, people are coming over to your house, and you're ready to host them. And you spend so much time stressing about your house, making sure that every one of your million gajillion pillows, you don't even know where they go, making sure they're in the perfect spot. They're just placed perfectly. So when people come into your house, they're just invited. Maybe the angel just come out of heaven and ah, because your perfect pillows are placed so well on your couch. No, that's never going to happen. But you stress about it. You want to make sure everything is in the right place. Your counters are squeaky, squeaky clean. And you stress so much about preparing your house for the people coming over that you can't even enjoy the fact that people are coming over in the first place to spend time with you. Is that you? 
Are you doing? Are you being a, a a Martha today? That you just stress about about all the things that have to get done, and you forget about the people that are most important. You've lost sight of the main thing in life: people. People are the most important. God, you don't have to impress people. Let me just take the weight off of your shoulders. You don't have to impress people. People aren't looking to be impressed by you. People are looking to connect with you. They're not looking to be impressed by you. They want a relationship with you. Something that's so true that I heard one time years ago. You can impress people with your strengths, but you connect with people through your weaknesses. You can impress people with your strengths, but you connect with people through your weaknesses. Guys, let people see the real you. That doesn't mean <laughs> your house becoming a pigsty or whatever. It just means be authentic. Don't put so much effort into trying to put on this facade just to impress all of the wrong people with a life that you weren't ever meant to live because God can't bless who you pretend to be. God can't do it. So put take the pressure off. Let people see the real you. Choose people over perfection. That's the first choice. Number two, the choice to embrace grace. You got to make the choice to embrace grace. The truth is, God has this thing called grace because there is a day that you're going to need it. In fact, for me, it's every day. I need God's grace every single day because I mess up a lot, whether it's in my marriage, whether it's in my friendships, my relationships. I hurt someone's feelings uh, just a few weeks ago, and, uh, and I, heard it, I, I heard them pretty good. And I had to go to him and I had to apologize. And I told him this. I said, listen, I promise you this. I'm going to hurt your feelings again. But I promise I'm not going to mean to. So please give me grace. Guys, we have to embrace grace because we're going to fail. We're going to mess up. We need to embrace grace because our lives are messy. They aren't perfect. Embrace the fact that you're going to fail. And let your fi yourself find strength in God when you do. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 9 through 10 says this, but he said to me, God said to me, my strength is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in, not my strength, my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulty. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God, we have, we, we have to learn to lean into our humanity. Because by leaning into our humanity, we are leaning into God's strength. When we lean into our imperfection, we are leaning into God's strength, our weakness. In our weakness, God is made strong. Guys, we aren't perfect, but we serve the one who is. The truth about grace is this, though. Grace isn't just God's forgiveness of our sin. It's also God's divine enablement, God's divine power for us to change. See, grace, grace says this. Grace says, come as you are, but don't stay that way. Come as you are, but don't stay that way. See, God wants you to come after him when you're messy, when you're messed up, when you're broken, when you're dirty, when you're struggling. God wants you to pursue him. 
But his desire for you isn't for you to stay that way. It's not for you to stay broken, messed up, dirty, uh, struggling. Your, God's desire is for you to let him start to shape you into his image, for you to change. God's grace is not only his forgiveness. God's grace is his enablement for us to change, to be shaped into his image. And so through our failure, through our weakness, we can lean into God's strength. We have to avoid perfection and choose to embrace grace. Number three, the choice. We have to learn to fail forward. You're like, what? You're telling me to fail? Yeah, I'm telling you. I'm not telling you to fail. I'm telling you, you're going to fail. You're going to. But when you fail, make sure that you're learning to fail forward. If you have lived for two days, you know what failure feels like. It's inevitable. It is an incurable part of the human condition. Failure goes hand in hand with breathing when we're human. But the Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 16. For though the righteous, listen, not the sinner, not the wicked, for the righteous fall seven times, but they arise again. Life Life will will knock you down. Even the righteous people will fall. But it's about how you get up. In the words of the great Rocky Balboa, life isn't about how hard you can hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. So when we fail, how do we fail forward? How do we do that? We fail forward when we use our failure as an opportunity to learn and to grow. See, failure isn't final unless you give up. Failure is not final unless you call it quits. And here's what I know, that the greatest growth in your life will not come because of success. The greatest growth of your life comes in times that you fail, in times that you learn from your failures. That's where your greatest growth happens. Uh, Cassie and I got to spend time with a great man this past week. His name is Dr. John Maxwell. He is um, an amazing man of faith, and he is what uh, many people refer to as the leadership guru. He's he's written so many books about leadership um, that are used at top-tier organizations in the world, um, and he's just an amazing man. He's, a, he's, he's amazing in the world of leadership, in the world of Christian leadership. In itself, and we got to spend um, a, a, a couple days with him this past week, and and he taught us this one thing. He taught Cassie and I this one thing that he coined the cycle of success. The cycle of success. And there's five things that uh, he says that in every organization, in every life, there's these five things that happen. If you want growth, these five things have to happen. Number one is this called the testing, the testing. And this is where you like, you try new things. You, you go into territory that you've never been in before. There has to be a testing. Second, there's failure. And see, failure is the natural result of trying new things. Uh, you're, you're never going to be good at something the first time. <laughs> you're never going to. Can you imagine the first time uh, that a baby tries to talk and they come out saying full sentences? It doesn't happen. You're never going to be good at something the first time you try it. So failure is a natural result of trying new things. Um, And the more that you try new things, the more that you fail. You're like, wow, uh, that's very encouraging. Welcome to Summit View, where we love to make you feel good about yourself. Okay, the more that you try new things, the more you're going to fail. 
But listen to the rest of this. The third thing, the third thing in this cycle of success is that you learn. So you test things, you fail, and then you learn. Learning is the return that we get from failure. See, uh, businesses will monitor their return um, on investment, the things that they put out, how much are they getting back from it? Well, in our lives, we can have return from failure, an ROF. We can have a return on failure. And learning is the return that we get from failing. But here's the catch. You want to learn more, you need to fail more. The more you fail, the more you're going to learn. And then your next step is that you would improve. That means that you're going to get better. You're going to change things based on what you learned from your failures. And then finally, you get to re-enter. You get back in the game and you get to try again. So there's this testing, this failure, this learning, this improvement, and then this re-entrance. And it's a cycle that you go through. But it's, <laughs> the whole thing is that in order to succeed, you have to try more things, which means you have to fail more times. But each time that you get to re-enter into this, cy- this cycle, you get to re-enter at a new level, a, a, a higher level. Now, notice that this is a cycle of success, and it's not a journey of success. This is going to be something that repeats in your life over and over and over. If you truly want to grow, these are the steps that you need to take to fail forward, to embrace failure, but learn how to grow from it. This means that this process is repeating over and over. The growth never never stops. Growth never stops as long as we continue to pursue it. Guys, we're going to fail just own it. We're going to fail. We're, but we have to make the choice that when we fail, we're going to fail forward and we're going to grow from our failures. So what decision are you going to make today? Are you going to chase perfection or are you going to choose progress? Are you going to chase self-perfection or are you going to pursue a perfect God and trust in him? Guys, drop the act. Drop chasing after something that you're never going to achieve. Perfection is not an achievable goal. Just go for progress. Try to make tomorrow better than today. A year from now, hopefully you're going to be a better person a year from now than you are today. Guys, life isn't about perfection. It's about pursuit. Let me pray for you. Father, I just thank you for each person. God, I thank you for um, for the ability um, to embrace failure, to embrace your grace, God, to know that perfection is not uh, something that we need to chase after. God, I pray that you give us the strength and the boldness and the courage in order to not chase after perfection, but to pursue you and trust that you're going to fill in all of our weak spots with your strength, God, That because when we're weak, you're made strong. I pray for the courage to lean into that this morning and for the rest of our lives. Help this word to change how we live. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for joining us today. I pray that this message had an incredible impact on your life. If you want more information about our church, you can check us out online at summitview.online. We hope we get to see you on a Sunday very, very soon. But until then, have a great week.